98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. Burns and Gambo, the 4 o'clock reset. Brought to you by Collins Comfort AC and Plumbing. Proud home services partner of the Arizona Cardinals. 4 o'clock reset. All right, we're going to start and end with the Phoenix Suns, according to ESPN's Baxter Holmes. And Ramona Shelburne, who was a guest on the program earlier today, Suns owner Robert Sarver's decision to sell the team was influenced by almost 30 sponsors, including Verizon and Footprint, who considered ending their endorsement deals in the wake of the investigation. You can read more on ArizonaSports.com. The Cardinals released a lengthy injury report today as they prepare to take on the Panthers in Carolina. All of these players did not practice for various reasons today. Calvin Beecham, Marquise Hollywood-Brown, Zach Ertz, Rodney Hudson, Rashard Lawrence, Justin Pugh, Ezekiel Turner, J.J. Watt. A.J. Green also did not participate. He is doubtful to play the game. Some good news. Wide receiver Rondell Moore was limited in practice for the first time this season. Still unsure about his status on Sunday. And cornerback Antonio Hamilton was back on his feet working. He remains on the IR after suffering from burns in a kitchen accident. And on the Panthers' side, running back Christian McCaffrey did not practice with a quad injury. Over to baseball, the D-backs recalled right-handed pitcher Sean Poppin, and the option fell Alrighty, Luis Frias earlier today. It's a great matchup on the mound tonight. D-backs take on the Astros in Houston. Zach Allen against Justin Verlander. First pitch is 5-10. You can hear all the action over on ESPN 620 AM in the Arizona Sports app. And in the NFL, Chargers star linebacker Joey Bosa to have surgery on a torn groin. Head coach Brandon Staley expects the four-time Pro Bowler to be back this season. And Jets quarterback Zach Wilson has been cleared to start Sunday's game against the Steelers after he tore his meniscus on a non-contact injury in the preseason. For the D-backs, I think Ian Kennedy will be throwing batting practice tonight before the game. That's what he did last night, if you want to Oh, my gosh. It, it, it's almost over game, but we're almost through watching that bullpen, which will be... How much he is a bitch, and it's out of the ballpark. And it is the next bad side of the ballpark. Every, like, oh, my God. It's like the Suns when they didn't have a point oh, guard for a whole God. season, the D-backs when they had this bullpen. Oh, my gosh. At least this time, they were already losing when the bullpen was giving up runs. I know, but like, Ian Kennedy comes in, home run. And you get a home run, and then you get a home run, and then you get a He's home run. He's got to the fans like, home happy. You know? I almost want him. You know, make a call and say, like, is there any chance you could just like let him go before the season ends? They probably won't do it because he's a veteran. And he's but it's almost like, oh my god, really? Like, you can't be that bad. Like, I mean, you can't be that. You're a major league pitcher. You can't get anybody out. You shouldn't be a major league pitcher. What's Papa Grande up to? Surely I've, he can still throw I, up better than those. I, I've been. Where's Brad Ziegler? I just want Brad Ziegler back. <laughs> Give me some Brad Ziegler. I'll take it. All right, let's uh, let's get right back into the DeAndre Ayton, the the awkward situation going on between him and Monty. Look, say what you want. This became a national story over the last twenty four hours. Hundred percent. Okay, so you could say oh, I didn't talk to anybody. Nobody's saying big story. Monty Williams and Devin Booker did not talk this offseason. Nobody's saying anything like that. Big big story. Monty Williams and Landry Shamit did not have a conversation. Nobody's talking about that. You and your center had a a very um, notable notable argument at, in the game. You benched him. He said he can't pass himself the ball. You said, what are you saying? What are you saying? Um, and then when you were asked about it after the game, you said it's internal. It's and internal. That's it. Right. So like that so when you don't talk to DeAndre Ayton for almost five months, 
okay, after the season ended, people are going to question that. Like, yeah. like this, you may. This did not have to be a national story. It didn't. Okay, you could have kept the focus on Jay Crowder and Robert Sarver. Instead, DeAndre Ayton and Monty become a story, and I blame Monty because Monty allowed it to happen. Now, I want to bring this up because this this was telling to me. Monty Williams at the end of the season, at the end of the season, he had his um, exit interview. Exit interviews. Thank you. Exit interviews, and he had. And I didn't catch this at the time. But I caught it now. Monty Williams, during his exit interviews, listen to this and tell me what's missing. In the playoffs, man, everybody knows your plays. You throw the ball around two, three, four times, and then one guy gets it and he goes and gets a bucket. And um, I I learned that lesson from Kevin Durant after the finals last year. He said, he was like, Coach, look, the playoffs, when you get deep into it, he's like, you got to stop a guy from getting a bucket and you got to go get a bucket. And a lot of the teams have guys that can do that. And I, I ask myself, like, am I, am I preparing our guys to, to do that? I think we have guys that can. Uh, Mikhail, Cam Johnson, what I saw from Landry um, in the postseason to complement uh, what we have in booking Chris. To complement what we have in booking Chris, he mentions Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, and Landry Shamit. Who did he not mention? He, he didn't mention DeAndre Gambo, but to be honest, I'm not reading into that. I think that he was specifically talking about perimeter players and ball handlers specifically. I think that's what he was asked about even to a certain extent. So I think that's what he was talking about. Uh, I know that DeAndre is someone who you can pass the ball to and get a bucket, and he should be mentioned in there. But I, I think he was just talking about perimeter players. But hey, guess what, Gambo? Talking about pieces that could complement Book and CP3. He didn't mention perimeter. Mention pieces that can complement those guys. I, w- I would love to hear the whole the whole thing, to be honest, before before putting this on him. But uh, look, the bottom line here is that after what happened on Monday and Tuesday and everything before that, this is the type of stuff that's going to happen now. People are pulling out receipts from six months ago, four months ago, whenever it was, to kind of see any more signs going forward. Dave Burns and I had a segment on this show where we talked about red flags with DeAndre Ayton, and we weren't talking about red flags with his game or anything. We were talking about things that we might have taken for granted that he said at the time that could have potentially hinted at him being unhappy. And there was a, there was a defining one, really, where he just talked about wanting to expand his role more in the offense, and we certainly did not see that in, in the season. We just tried to read into what we could, and that's what these situations put you in. Yeah. So now we're pulling up quotes from four months ago to, well, to you, read you into know, them. You mentioned a small forward, a guy who's probably going to play some power forward, and you mentioned a backup shooting guard, but you don't mention the other guy. It's not like you just mentioned guards. It wasn't like I just mentioned guards. Perimeter players. They, they play okay, on the perimeter. Right, sure. But, you know, yeah. I mean, but it's not like he just mentioned, you know, guards. He mentioned other positions. Why, you know, and not that DeAndre plays on the perimeter. But I'm just surprised that, you know, when you're talking about pieces that can complement Book and CP3, he doesn't mention then. Either way, either way, you've got a situation here that has become a big story nationally because people, because DeAndre was asked about it. And he said, I didn't, I haven't talked to the coach. And Imani afterwards, like, I didn't talk to a lot of the guys. But nobody cares about whether you didn't talk to Landry Shamit. Everybody's wondering why you didn't talk to DA. There was obviously friction between the two of them at the end of last year. Yes, That's 100%. Not, it's not debatable. It's not debatable. I, I, a lot of people in that organization thought DeAndre Ayton was going to get traded. But then the Nets didn't want him. And so DeAndre doesn't get traded. 
And so they have to match the offer sheet because you can't lose a player as good as DeAndre Ayton for nothing. You can't lose him for nothing. So they don't. So they match the offer sheet and he's still here. But he doesn't really, it looks like he doesn't feel welcomed. And Monty certainly didn't do anything to, you know, make up the difference with, that he had with them. I mean, like I said, very easy to extend an olive branch, very easy to reach out to him at some point over the last four and a half to five months and say, hey, you know, listen, big fella, so, so happy you got that deal. You know, you, you worked so hard. You deserve it. It's good for you and your family. Can't wait to get back with you and, you know, you know, and, and, and get working together again. Like anything, anything could have put you in a position to where you avoided all this negative publicity that's coming out of it right now. Two things on this. Uh, I wrote a story, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, I wrote a story in mid July when DeAndre's offer sheet got mashed and I wrote about how there is going to have to be things that the Suns will have to do to help this, and there will be things that DeAndre has to do. It's going to have to come from both sides here. And one of the things I wrote about in there is I said, Monty Williams has to repair anything that needs to be repaired. And I wasn't. Didn't. I wasn't saying if, if there was a ton to be repaired, a little bit to be repaired, but again, the end of the season, you cannot deny there was some kind of friction there, and I wrote it in there, Gambo. I just said he's going to do that because I was 100% certain that Monty Williams, given everything we know about how tight he is with his players and how it helps him get the most out of them and how it just helps them feel like a better team and how much it's done for the culture the last few years, I just assumed that he was going to talk to him at the very least and try and mend things, but it appears that he is not. And the second thing I wanted to say, Ramona pointed this out, and it was a really, really good point by her, is that Monty on Tuesday alluded to how, like, I have spats with Chris, I have spats with Devin, I have spats with Mikel, like, I have spats with guys on the team all the time. Well, DeAndre made the choice for us to know this, and, and that is the huge difference here, is that let's say he had like a two weeks where him and Chris are getting along, completely hypothetical here, just speculating, not even speculating, just being hypothetical, using an example here. We never even had an inkling of it happening at all, no indication at all that it was happening. And DeAndre had the opportunity on Tuesday when that question was asked to just be like, our relationship is improving, da da da. the things that he said in the ESPN story a couple months ago. Sure. But he went out of his way to be like, I'm not talking to the dude, I'll show it to him on the court. That's what he said. Like, and but why didn't they talk? Why didn't they why talk? Didn't they, why why did, haven't they talked in five months? That's not good leadership. And, and how does it get to this point where DeAndre is just willing to like, like Las Vegas? Sure, like I'll, I'll because he, he got just, paid. Well, he just threw it out there. That's what I'm he, saying. Like, now why he's did he paid. just throw it out? Because now he's like, he, now he could let all of his emotions out. I got my contract. I'm going to let my. I'm going to let you know how I really feel about you. I got paid. I'm going to bottle anything up anymore. I'll hold things back, and you'll, you know, waiting for you guys to give me a contract. I got my money. Now I'm going to speak my mind. All right, still a lot to come on the program. We got D-backs on deck coming up in just a couple of minutes, but we're going to catch up with Chris Cartman, Sun Devil Insider, and uh, you know, Sun Devil Source, and talk about ASU and USC. That's coming up next on 98.7 FM Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. All right, time to talk some ASU football with a good friend of the program, Chris Cartman, publisher of SunDevilSource.com. A great follow, a uh, great follow for everything Sun Devil football, basketball, and all their sports. Chris joins us on the program. Chris, how are you? I'm doing well, hanging in there. Good to be with you. Yeah, I want to tell you, you've got some uh, some real good writers on that staff. I've actually reached out to a couple of them. There's some good stuff that those guys are putting out there. Some great stories after the game, and I've uh, I've really enjoyed it this year. 
I appreciate that. Yeah, just uh, training them up, doing the best that we can. All right. Let's talk about the incident today. Let's start with that, with the head coach, Sean Aguano, kicking a player out of practice. Now, I'm not going to tell people who the player was. I just said it's a defensive player. But um, a player shows up late for practice, Sean Aguano. I love this. I mean, you've got to have some discipline in the program. And I know he's just the interim guy, but I like the message it sends. Totally agree. Uh, you know, we saw in uh, even in ASU's camp like a month or so ago, a month and a half ago now, we saw a couple captains show up one day late to a practice. It was a few minutes late, you know, maybe not a big deal to some people, but the discipline really starts with uh, having accountability to what the rules are, and then making sure that nobody. Uh, violates that, and then you have to see up. You have to adhere to that from the top of your organization all the way down in every single way. You know, one of the things I was I noticed when I watched uh, ASU play Utah, which is probably the best coach team in the conference. Uh, even when they huddle, they had a very specific way of huddling, which had the helmet of each of the other 10 players within one foot of the quarterback, and they all stood the exact same way every single uh, time. And what I took from that really was they had such a precision of detail orientation into everything that they do that a lot of these uh, people I thought that, oh, Utah's a lot more talented than ASU. I don't think so. I think Utah is a lot more developed, a lot more detail-oriented, a lot tougher, a lot more focused. They have better execution. They have uh, a better understanding of what they should do with why and how on every single play, and that really matters in, in, in practices and meetings and every other way. Chris, what, what stood out to me about that game is just how far ASU has to go to get to that level. I mean, just early in the game, you know, a big sack by Barton, a big sack by Reed, a sack by Fillinger. I mean, they were just putting ASU in these third and 18s and third and longs on uh, on almost every single possession, which is why in the first half of the football game, ASU basically had no yards. What I what I took out of that football game is there is a long way to go for ASU to be comparable with the best teams in this conference. Totally agree with you. I think that there's uh, multiple parts to this, right? If you look at ASU a year ago, uh, they were eight and five. That was a disappointing season with eight wins uh, because of the, the nature of some of those losses. Washington State at home, Utah on the road, BYU with a complete tobacco. Uh, but the talent disparity actually wasn't much at all. ASU had eight NFL combine invites more than any Pac-12 team. It was really the, the, the coaching, the discipline, the penalties that held that team back. The difference this year is that uh, they've been really hollowed out as a result of the NCAA investigation. 15 months they added uh, not nearly as much talent as they lost over that span. They were one of the biggest losers in the transfer portal. You look at Johnny Wilson at Florida State, Ricky Pearsall at Florida, uh, Eric Gentry at USC, Jaden Daniels to LSU, and really a whole host of others. They did not come close to, to replacing them. They have the most walk-ons on their scholarship right now of any team that I've covered, like eight of them. They have the most junior college players that had no Power 5 offers, also about eight of them. They have two Division two transfers, and they're 10 scholarships under the 85 limit. So they, they dramatically fell off. It was basically like the coaching staff, uh, they were just finding anyone they could, basically, who would come to ASU and take a scholarship knowing that uh, they, they were uh, basically not going to have a job you know, at, at, at the end of the year and that they weren't going to be able to win anything. And you have coordinators. I mean, it's not anything personally about these guys because they're really nice guys, but Donnie Henderson is not – 
Gonna, wouldn't get a job anywhere else as a defensive coordinator at the Power Five level. And Glenn Thomas uh, hasn't done anything successfully as a coordinator at a major college either. So when I asked Ray Anderson, uh, you know, a few couple weeks ago, uh, like how much was this program impacted by all the coaching departures, which obviously came as a result of the NCAA investigation, he looked at me like confused, like and said, "Well, that happened many months ago." And I'm saying to myself. It doesn't matter when it happened. That's the result. That's like the main thing why you're at where you're at on top of the loss of discipline, which happened over the last couple of years under her medal. Chris, uh, X Valaday was sensational for the first three weeks of the season. Then he just has eight carries for 30 yards in the fourth game. Obviously, game flow kind of got away from them in terms of running the ball. But what do you see as keys to success for them getting back to who you could argue has been their best player four games in? Absolutely. Well, Utah does a great job of getting eight guys in the box, uh, and and you're not going to be able to do much against them. That 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 is historically what they've been able to do, especially when they uh, are able to do that. Then they can sit back and some cover two, and then everything is, is caught underneath of them, and you don't really move the ball that successfully. Um, and ASU was getting kind of bullied at the line of scrimmage, quite frankly. Uh, one of the things I've been saying throughout the season is you have to get the ball in in, in space creatively to your best athletes, right? Uh, Rashad White, uh, it wasn't only that they handed the ball to him, they, they, they threw the ball to him in a variety of ways that enabled him to be you know, getting it like 30% of the time when they didn't have a lot else going for them last year. So uh, I, I feel like with X Faladay, it's it's what can you do in the screen game? What can you do with some rollouts? What can you what, making sure that you get him on checkdowns? Uh, you know, quick game. Maybe you can line him up in different spots uh, onto the field. Take advantage of him. I, I really think that between Daniel and Gada, Exaliday, uh, um, of course Elijah Badger, who's emerged as their top receiver, and like Geo Sanders, you have to be able to find out a way to get the ball to them quickly so that they can do things a lot more frequently with some space to, to work with. Tough, uh, tough trek here now. USC had a tough game on the road against Oregon State, but this is a team that could really get after it. Uh, tough for, for ASU, another tough game for Sean Aguano. And when you look at it, to me, a lot of it just starts with their defense, right? Only two sacks in the four games for ASU. What do you want to see defensively from this team to kind of give them a chance against USC? Well, actually, um, put some risk out there onto the field. We haven't seen any blitzing almost at all. It's like every single time it's a four-man rush and the same four guys rushing. So when, when an offense knows exactly what you're going to do every time, uh, you're going to have a t- hard time getting to the quarterback. And then also, uh, you, 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 you've got to play more man coverage. I, like, okay, I get it. USC has Jordan Addison and great receivers and all this stuff, but you're going to have to try to get the quarterback who's great off schedule, do some things to, to create some different uh, different visuals for him uh, on his dropbacks. Uh, you're going to just have to try to take him out of his rhythm because otherwise you're just going to get totally picked apart. And yeah, it's air raid and the ball's going to come out hot and all that. Uh, so of course, then you have to try to be successful on first down to get them into some longer situations. But um, I, I just, again, I think it comes down to like, uh, look at what Utah did. They, 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 they run a stunt on the on second down that gets a free run to the quarterback, right? Well, we haven't seen any creative twists and stunts and things with ASU up front to be able to do some of that stuff. USC also is very creative in how they rush for They drop defensive ends, defensive tackles. Uh, they bring their linebackers. They do all these different things, and we just haven't really seen that much ASU. So what is there really to lose at this point? Right? Like, how about you just bring some six man pressures, play some cover zero, try to do some different things, and if you get beat over the top, okay, well, 
that might happen. But the reality is at least you're trying something. Chris, appreciate it. As always, thanks for spending a few minutes with us talking some Sun Devil football. We'll everybody follow you at at Chris Cartman on Twitter and, of course, sundevilsource.com for all your ASU info. Thanks, Chris. Thanks for all the love. Appreciate it. Uh, That's Chris Cartman. Does a really good job. Right now, it's time to get you ready for some Diamondbacks baseball. The home of Arizona Diamondbacks baseball is 98.7 FM, Arizona's sports station. We're checking in on the D-backs as they warm up for the game's first pitch. D-backs on deck, brought to you by 72 Sold. Get thousands more on your home with no inconvenience. Visit 72sold.com and by Sonic. This is how we Sonic. Stop by your nearest location today for the Sonic Chop House Cheeseburger. For a limited time, only at Sonic. All right, D-backs and the Astros tonight. We'll get you ready after a tough one last night in Houston at Minute Maid Park. Diamondbacks lose that game, but they've got their uh, they got their ace back on the mound today. It looks good for the ace on the mound. Both aces on the mound for both clubs today. Let's take a look at that pitching matchup. It's brought to you by Native Interiors. Your floors, your way. Text FLOORS to 620-620 for more info. And just in general, of all the baseball games in action tonight, this might be the best one in terms of a pitching matchup. Zach Gallen for the Snakes, 12 and 3 on the year, 2.46 ERA and 180 strikeouts. Justin Verlander for Houston, 17 and 4 record, a 1.82 ERA and 167 strikeouts on the year. It is amazing how good Justin Verlander has been this year. Wow. Really, he's been unreal. I had my kid in his fantasy baseball team. Uh, I don't play fantasy sports, but he did, and I had him take Justin Verlander because nobody was taking Justin Verlander coming off the injury. I said, you got to take Verlander. He took him, and he's been great for him. Who looks like a genius dad now? Me, me. You me. do. Look, I look. I'm you the dad do. for advice. Let's take a look down on the farm, brought to you by Redbird Farms. You can't put a price on great taste. You cannot. There is only one affiliate left in action for the rest of the minor league season. That is the Reno Aces, and they're already done for the day, and they put a wallop on the Tacoma Rainiers. 11-1. to 1. How about this, too? At the top of the order? Alec Thomas, five for five, three Ooh, runs and three RBI today. Nice, yeah, two boy. hits in that first game, and then five hits for oh Alec boy. Thomas. Good for him. Wrong, Alec. That I, think, I think I saw in his last two games with Reno. So, like immediately after being sent down, he's seven of his last eleven or twelve. So I think he's getting All that right. groove back. Yep. It he, looks good yep. for him. Little wake-up call right there for sure. Let's take a look at the MLB standings. They are driven by Trucks Only, the Valley's number one independent dealer, and home of the lifetime engine warranty. We're at that point where a lot of divisions are being claimed. There's still one up for grabs, and that is the NL East. The Atlanta Braves technically now have the lead in the East. Oh, man. Though they have an identical record with the Mets, so it's coming right down the home stretch for those two. In the wild card race, you've got the San Diego Padres with two and a half games over Philly, and then Philly has the last spot, but just one and a half games over the Milwaukee Brewers. Here comes that Ooh, Philly collapse. Mikel Bridges is going to be sweating that. Goodness <laughs> Here comes gracious. that Philly collapse. In the American League, Houston has the West. The Yankees claimed the East last night. The Cleveland Guardians have the Central, and then it's a real battle for the wildcard spots. Toronto has a three-game advantage over Seattle. Tampa Bay has a one-and-a-half game over them, and then just three-and-a-half back of the Mariners for that final spot, the Baltimore Orioles. Will they pull it off? Who knows? I would love to see the Orioles. It would be great to see I would love to see them get in after what they went through last year, for sure. It sets the table well for the Diamondbacks next year. All right, let's get a key for the game. I am the key master. D-backs key. 
keys to the game. Presented by Mist America, home of the patented Mist 360 outdoor cooling system. Visit MistAmerica.com today for a cooler tomorrow. Jose Altuve had two. David Hensley had one. Alex Bregman had one. Jeremy Pena had one. They gave up five homers yesterday. The key to the game, keep the ball in the ballpark. And don't pitch Ian Kennedy. There's your key to the game right there. I'll stick with home runs. Uh, Dalton Varsho's having a really great year. He's got he nine one. long balls in the month of September. He's up to 27 on the year. He's got an 890 OPS in September. You'll love to see a younger guy with not a season like him finishing out the year strong. Keep an eye on him at the plate tonight. All right, speaking of uh, finishing strong, let's, let's see if the Cardinals can finish a game strong. What did Cliff Kingsbury say about his roster and the health of that roster? We'll talk about that next on 98.7 FM, Arizona's Sports Station. Sanderson Ford has our poll question every single day. They sponsor our poll question. We love the great people over at Sanderson Ford. And they're on 51st Avenue in Glendale online at SandersonFord.com. And Eric Ruby, what are what is our question and what are the results so far? Yeah, is it Prince or Prince and Gambo need to know Twitter poll update. Presented by Sanderson Ford. Prince is coming out strong, Kellen, if that's what you're trying to ask. Prince over Baker Mayfield. Um, That's not the actual poll question today. The actual poll question today has to do with the Cardinals injury report, which was pretty lengthy. We took three players out of the nine who did not practice today and asked everybody, if any of these guys didn't play, who would you be most worried about? Your three options, Rodney Hudson, J.J. Watt, and Justin Pugh. I said Pew. I'm in the minority. I went with Justin Pew. Yeah, I went with Hudson. I'm just concerned about the flow of the offense, and he's big in that regard. It's an overwhelming 59.5% for Hudson. In second place, J.J. Watt at 24.2%. And in third place, 16.3% Justin Pew. All right. There is your Sanderson Ford poll question. You can go online on the Burns and Gamble page on Twitter and respond to that. Thank you, Eric. Let's get right to it. Cliff Kingsbury speaking today about some of his players. Let's start with the veteran A.J. Green. Here's what Cliff Kingsbury said about A.J. Green. Um, looks doubtful unless he really, really comes around. Probably not, not going to be available. Yeah, I didn't expect that after that knee injury and the struggles. And listen, I think a lot of people are down on A.J. Green. He did have that great two-point conversion catch in the win over the Raiders. But other than that, he has been a disappointment so far through three games. I thought he had a good year last year. I mean, when you compare him to other free agent signings, a wide receiver, he was one of the better free agent signings, but not off to a good start this year. But maybe that gets alleviated a little bit if they could get Rondale Moore back. Here's what Cliff said about the speedy receiver. Receiver out of Purdue. He's a playmaker. He had a really good training camp. We were looking forward to utilizing him in some different ways. Um, but, you know, coming off whatever he's been out three or four weeks, we'll, we'll be smart and, and limit kind of what he does. But he's, he's definitely got some juice and was playing at a high level in camp. So hopefully he can go. It was so excited when they drafted him because he is me too. Yeah. He's a dynamic player that can just really, you know, take the top off of things. Um, and I thought he was good last year and I thought this year he'd have a much more expanded role, but he did have some similar injuries with the hamstring at Purdue two different years. One time he missed like eight games, another he missed like three. So this is an injury that he's had. This is not new for him, the hamstring injury. It's just, it's tough to come back from those things right away, especially if it's a grade one strain, grade 
day strain, you know, for him, it takes a little while. So if they could get him back this week, even on a limited basis, we just get some reps that could really help the offense. Yeah, they've really missed that second tier of, of playmaking, Gambo. And, and a lot of those guys got brought up to the first tier because the guy that headlines the whole group is DeAndre Hopkins. He's not playing football yet. Kyler's obviously in that first group. That's where Hollywood Brown goes. That's where James Conner goes. But beyond those guys, that's when you start to mention Rondale Moore. I, I wanted to mention this guy with this segment, uh, Cambo. Chase Edmonds, I think they've missed a bit. Two touchdowns in that game last week. He's a really good football player. Mm-hmm. And when we were talking about guys who were going to stay, guys who were going to leave, he just made sense immediately to me as a guy who was going to leave because he's just, I don't know how else to say, he's just a good football player. Like He does a lot of things well, and it just felt like those drives here and there where they needed like a big catch for 12 yards on third and seven or something like that, that Chase Edmonds was getting that done. And that's that kind of group that I'm talking about where someone like Rondale Moore fills in and I think they've really missed that secondary tier of playmaking on the team. DeAndre's so obvious, of course, it's him. But those kind of guys stepping up, they lost one in for agency, Chase Edmonds, and then and then one for injury so far in Rondell Moore. Yeah, and I think that uh, I do think they miss Chase, but I like Daryl Williams. Yeah, I like what he's done. But Chase was a pretty dynamic guy, and he could have those. You know, every once in a while, he could have those really big games and speak up. He had two touchdowns last week against Buffalo. It was Sunday against Buffalo, so I was happy to see him do that. Here's Cliff talking about just trying to get back to full strength at wide receiver. Yeah, we, you know, like I said, you want to try and figure out what what you can uh, do best with those guys that you have, and, and they're talented players. Um, you, you'd like to be full strength and, and use um, some of those top guys, but. We, we got to find a way to, to make it work. And, and so far, just offensively, like I said, along, we haven't had a rhythm, haven't even really executed a game plan through three quarters. And that's something that we've talked about and just staying on schedule and not falling behind where it becomes a two-minute drill every week. Listen, DeAndre Hopkins is one of the best players in the NFL. Okay? Sure He's is. one of the best receivers. And they have not found a way to win games with DeAndre Hopkins out. This goes back to last year. They have not found a way to play good football without DeAndre. You're in survival mode. I mean, you mentioned the TV show Survivor. I mean, that's what they're on an island and they're trying to survive right now until Hopkins comes back because they need him. And, and Gambo, they needed to get to this part of the schedule specifically. I, this is when I really expect the offense to kind of open up a bit. They're playing against pretty underwhelming defenses so far. Now, Carolina, which we've talked about on the show already, has been surprisingly good. They, they've defied expectations in, in that regard, but you've still got teams like Seattle on the list. Uh, New Orleans has a fantastic defense. Minnesota does not. They're on there, too. This is like that five, six-game stretch of the schedule where it's light, and we talked about so much when the schedule came out, when it was formatted, and then coming into the season, how brutal this schedule was. Bernsey and I, when we hosted a show, uh, Gambo, when you were on vacation, kind of had this notion where with the team and looking at the schedule specifically, we both agreed, just get to 1-2. and two. Yeah. Just do not go 0-3. Oh just win one of those games. I don't care how. I don't care how the games go. Just get 1-2, and two, and then those next five or six games is when you can really start to get some rhythm in. You get Hopkins back in the middle of that, and that's when you really start to see the gears clicking to the second half of the season, where, of course, you would have to defy the trend that we've seen fail them so many times. But they are 1-2, and two, and now they've got a very winnable game against Carolina, to say the least. they got two more against Seattle, and that's when we could start to see the offense really click and the addition of Rondell Moore would certainly help with that. Yeah, and I think that you just, you know, to me it's like, get to two and two, now you're four, you're two games away, just, if you could be three and three and Hopkins is coming back, I mean, I'll take it. I'll sign up for that. Yes. Because at three and three, I got 11 games left, I get Hopkins back, by that time Rondell Moore should be at full strength, I should feel pretty good, Antonio Hamilton should be back. So at that time I might feel like, okay, I'm ready to go on a little bit of run here and play better football. Look, the NFC is not good. 
You got to get in. You got to give yourself a chance. I don't think that there's a great team in the NFC. Philly's off to a good start. The, the Green Bay looks okay. Tampa Bay doesn't look that good. I just, the Rams don't look great. I mean, it's, if you could get in, listen, I wouldn't be surprised if a wild card team ends up winning the, the NFC. I wouldn't be surprised at that at all. I don't think it's going to happen in the AFC, but in the NFC, I would not be surprised if a wild card wins because I just don't think the NFC is that good. So you want to just get in and give yourself a chance. One more on, uh, from Cliff talking about talking about that Antonio Hamilton and when he may be back. Uh, I, he's moving around good, so uh, you know next week maybe a little aggressive, but we're hopeful. You know, I think we got to get him out there, see you know what he's retained as far as the football stuff, and see how he moves around, make sure he's comfortable. But he he, he looks good in his uh, in his rehab. All right, Darren Urban from azcardinals.com. He's going to join us next. We'll start to preview this game against Carolina. Talk about that, that dominance that Carolina has had over the Cardinals. That's next, right here on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station. Burns and Gambo. Burnsy today. He is under the weather. Got a little sick. Get that text early in the morning and he wasn't feeling good. So, Kellen, kind enough to fill in and uh, we're taking you right up till 6 o'clock. A lot of Cardinals talk. We played a lot of the sound from Cliff Kingsbury and Kyler Murray and joining us and he's done a great job. 23 years covering the Cardinals. Our good friend Darren Urban from azcardinals.com. Darren, how are you? Gamble, how are you? I'm good. Kellen's filling in for Burns. He was a little under the weather today, so we're going to get through this day without him. He's just avoiding me. I know that. That's what it is. It has to be that. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed that Kellen's doing, covering all the, the soap opera that is the Suns, and he's still able to fill in on the radio all this time. Hey, busy guy, busy time of year. It's not the kind of busy I would prefer right now. I'd prefer the busy to be about what's happening on the basketball court, but you know how it is, Darren. Sometimes it is, sometimes oh, it isn't. Oh, he knows. I, mean, I, mean, do I don't you... know what you're talking about. There's been no drama around <laughs> Oh, God. Uh... Oh. Come on, when you were at the Tribune, didn't you cover a bunch of different things in the beginning? Oh, yeah, I did. I, I, there was a, I, I covered plenty of Suns once upon a time, plenty of Diamondbacks. I covered the Coyotes for as a beat writer for a full season. So, yeah, I've been See? all over the place. You know it. All right, let's, let's talk about a couple of different things. One, I'm, I'm surprised at this dominance that Carolina's had over the Arizona Cardinals. Look, I can understand if it was Green Bay or, or somebody like that, but I'm surprised at how, how much success Carolina Carolina has had against the Cardinals, are you? I mean, a little bit in part because, I mean, now when we start talking about how long the the quote unquote, the winning streak is, I mean, we're stretching back over uh, three coaches now. So it's it's there's a lot of player turnover. That, and that three coaches, that's just for the Cardinals. The, the Panthers have obviously had uh, a couple coaches themselves. So, you know, it, it, it's a very it's it's strange in some ways. I mean, I, I do think that for whatever reason, whatever Matt Rule has done the last couple of years, he's seems to have the Cardinals number, especially defending them. And I know I, I don't have the, 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 the stat right off the top of my head, but I do know the Panthers under Matt Rule, if they hold you down with their defense, they tend to win. And if you score, I don't know, I think if you score 18 points or 20 points, you have a good chance of beating the Panthers. So I think the Cardinals, who are obviously struggling to find their offense right now, really need to, to have that happen this weekend to try and get out of this uh, funk against the Panthers. Why is it? 
it that they struggle to find their offense. I mean, there's so many. Uh, you would think with, with the loss of the uh, they, and they played just so poorly at many times without DeAndre Hopkins, and I don't understand why because you, you've got great tight ends, you've got other really good wide receivers, you've got good running backs. Why do you think they've struggled to get a rhythm going offensively when DeAndre's not playing? Well, let's be fair, Gambo. If I really knew that answer, I'd walk upstairs and get myself a raise and work on the football side. But I mean, I, I do think that um, I, I think when the Cardinals were going really good offensively early last season, I think their run game was really tough. Uh, James Conner was healthy. Chase Edmonds was healthy. Kyler did some stuff, but he dropped off significantly last year as a runner. It was it was really those two running backs, and they were doing a lot of really good things, and they were playing from the lead. Um, they were able to get the lead. They were able to definitely have a balanced kind of attack, and that's gone right now. They're playing from behind. They're not running the ball quite as well, um, and then they they just don't have the ability to do as much, and I, I think this team, this team is really set up not that most teams wouldn't really work well from ahead, but I do think this team works much better from ahead, and that's why having a good start on offense and defense, for that matter, is so crucial this weekend. Darren, you just alluded to it a bit. We follow each other on Twitter, so you see me angrily tweeting along to Cardinals games like I'm sure many other people do. (laughs) And uh, my goodness, the one thing that has been getting me up and down, pacing around my living room, yelling at the TV, has been Kyler's lack of involvement in the run game, which you just spoke on a little bit. It just seems like the most obvious skill for them to utilize from him. Kyler talked about it a bit today, but what have just been your impressions of the drop-off you mentioned last year and just the lack of it this year so far as well? I can't, at this point, I'm struggling to really put a finger on exactly where that goes. I mean, today, Kyler was talking about how, you know, this what the game plan is, and he'll run if that's part of the game plan, and he has no problem with that. But, you know, we at one point last, I think it was the off season of 2021, where he said, I think my legs are a luxury. They're not a necessity. It's not, I don't want to count on them. So I, I think he's kind of he's kind of evolving in his thought process. I mean, look, we all know the reality is is nobody in this building and really in the fan base wants to see Kyler Murray get hurt. So I do think you need to pick and choose. And like last week against the Rams, part of your issue was the, the way the kind of the game played out. The Rams were playing a lot of zone. And when you've got all 11 guys watching you as you leave the pocket, even if you're able to get out there, there's probably a hit coming at some point. And I know he's really good about getting down, but I do think think that can get in your head a little bit about making sure you're staying healthy for a 17-game season. All that said, I wrote last week after the Raiders game where it was pretty clear that the, him using his legs means a lot, that it does feel like that's that's an element that they they need to get to because it, it just it changes so much in terms of, of, of what they can do. Darren Urban from azcardinals.com joining us on the program. It, it, no stat means more to me that I've with Kylan than this one that, that we've been talking about on the radio station for the last 24 to 48 hours. They're 9-1 and one when he runs 10 or more times. They're 14-14 and 14 when he runs 5 to 9 times. And they're 0-10-1 when he doesn't run. Four or less. I mean, if you want to talk about a stat that means something, 0-11-1 with four or less, 14-14, and 5-9, and 9-1 when he runs 10 times or more. I know we don't want him getting hurt. I get it. But it doesn't seem like they win football games unless he's running. 
I I see where you're going. I saw the stat, and I don't necessarily disagree. But at the same time, I do think there's nuance there. Um, you don't want to slip in with your quarterback running the same way that people fall into. Well, you know, this team is. 25 and 2 when they, you know, run the ball 30 times. Well, yeah, because you're running the ball 30 times cuz you're playing w- with the lead usually. And and that's that's a, that's a dangerous thing to get into. Now, obviously it's different with the quarterback, but again, I just think there's a lot that goes into it. I agree that you probably want to get in a position where he's much more of a threat running the ball. Um, but I also I do not see how Kyler Murray can be uh, a, a Lamar Jackson or even to a lesser extent a Trey Lance because you can't afford for him to get hurt because when he did get hurt the last couple years, his play drops, and then you're really in trouble. Yeah, I'm going to say this knowing full well that Isaiah Simmons wasn't able to cover Christian McCaffrey at all last year when he had all those catches against him. But when you look at the snap count or the lack of snaps that Isaiah Simmons is getting and guys like Ben Neiman, is it a scheme thing? Is it is he just not getting his? Is he needing more experience? What are you seeing out there from Isaiah? I mean, I think we've reached a kind of a watershed time for Isaiah Simmons, and it's there's kind of a fork in the road. That's how it feels like to me, because it just feels like this has gone in a direction where I don't know if, if we end up where we are right now unless there's been a bunch of stuff and uh, things talked about with him and coaches and stuff for a while now, and then now it's just kind of coming to a head. That I, I'm speculating, but that's kind of how it feels. And you know, all I can go by is what the coaches are saying right now, which is he is improving in practice and he's going to do better. But I mean, the the proof is in the snap count, and his his percentage of snaps did go up way more. He didn't just have one right. more snap last week. They played a lot fewer defensive snaps. But um, unless he gets back to that full time snap count, then obviously. Obviously, he's not doing something or isn't proving something to the coaches that they have to see. And and that's all we can go by is what happens on a weekly basis. Always appreciate you carving out a few minutes for us, Darren. Thank you. Appreciate it, guys. All right, that's Darren Urban from azcardinals.com. The Phoenix Suns, one, uh, I don't want to say prominent, but one, I'll just say it. Uh, Just a guy from Undisputed that everybody can't stand. Thinks that the sun is setting and the suns are about to sink. And for people buying that, we'll talk about that next on 98.7 FM, Arizona Sports Station.